You're listening to Hope's Cast. This podcast is a space dedicated to self-growth and motivation. By sharing our truths and parts of our stories, we hope to inspire you to find your silver lining and tell your life's best story. Welcome back, everyone. It's an honor to welcome today's very special guest, Larry Potash. If you're from the Chicagoland area, you probably know he's one of the main anchors of WGN's morning news show, the number one morning show in Chicago, and a legend in the news business. He also has a show and podcast called Backstory with Larry Potash, where he shares tales of history and culture. But you probably didn't know that I was Larry's very own intern back in college. And until now, he's one of my most valuable mentors. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I know I can always count on you. It means a lot that you are on this show. And I'm so excited that you've agreed to share your wisdom and decades of experience. I know you will inspire so many young journalists the way you have and continue to inspire me. Thank you for the internship that changed my life and my career path. And I'm so excited again that you're here. And thank you. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're doing well. I, I have my dog here just so that the dog will remain quiet because I'm the only one home right now. So um, yeah, everything's going great. And how is that nap? Because I, or I, have you not taken the nap? Yet? Oh, no, it usually comes right about now, but that's all right. We'll power through. <laughs> uh, and since we're on the topic of naps, I think we should let our listeners know that as glamorous as the morning anchor gig is, the hours are a little wacky. So do you mind uh, giving us a little run through of what your day in the life kind of looks like? Well, I'm up at 3.15 and um, I could probably get up later, but I like to get on the internet and, and see what news headlines may have happened overnight so that if there's something that interests me that I want to put in the show... Um, it gives, I'd rather give it to the producers at, at 3.30 or 4 than, than walk in at 5. And, 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 you know, the more time I can give them, the, the better. And I, I brush up on the papers and all that. And then, uh, you know, we do the show 6 to 10. And then after that, I'm out shooting stories for Backstory uh, almost every day. I, I'm either, you know, shooting or editing or writing um, and doing it at home. It's, it's nonstop. So... Uh, that is the basic outline of, of my life. <laughs> work and anyway. After that, I'm sure it's nap time. And then you're a dad. You have two daughters, a wife, pets. So yeah. it's probably a little bit of a circus. Yeah, but the morning shift is good for family. You know, if I was doing two to 10, uh, you would never have dinner with your family. And so I like this. And, and you know, 25, 35 years ago, Everybody wanted to go to Nights. Nights was the main show for, for most places. And, you know, with, with people getting news headlines on their cell phone, by the time six o'clock rolls around, people pretty much know what's going on or 10 o'clock. And so in the morning, we have a sense where you, you, you have to get ready for work or school. You can't always be on your phone. And so it's a good kind of a good place to be, especially when you're on a morning show that isn't just reading news headlines, that injects some personality and creativity. It's been a winning formula for us for you know, 20 plus years. I love it. You're arguably one of the best storytellers in the country. You're extremely professional and passionate when it comes to your work. Did you always know that you wanted to be a reporter and an anchor? Uh, pretty much. I initially, uh, I played sports in, in school and I wanted to be a sportscaster. I thought that'd be a fun way to make a living. And then just journalistically, I gravitated towards news. It was just more diverse. I thought it was more interesting. And uh, certainly I think a, a better career move as ESPN was coming in at that time. And now, you know, sports is often the first department to get cut. <laughs> uh, and so news I think was a good move for me and, and just a wider scope. So yeah, I enjoy it. And, and it serves an important purpose as we've talked about to you know hold authority accountable. And that was always a value that was important to me. And sports, like you said, is, is a little different than the local news reporting, the everyday topics and sharing that knowledge. Was there any sense of wanting to be part of that or a why to why you decided this is important to me? About covering news? Yeah. And just being a storyteller the way that you are. Well, I think exposing wrongdoing is important for our society and people don't often understand that that's what our role is. Um, and uh, not to say that 
the morning show is, you know, part of that, but it's, it's a different animal. And uh, I've always been a history fan. And of course, as they say, journalists are writing the first draft of history. So it kind of all came together for me that way. That's very interesting. And I think there may be listeners, especially journalists that want to hear about your journey and everything you've been through. And as we navigate through just a whole new world, I wanted to talk about your road to success because it's a little bit more um, the conventional way and a way that I think is very important. And I don't, I would really like if you could just give us a little bit of where you started to how you got to WGN back in 1994. Yeah, so I got out of Emerson College, I got a small market job, one man banding, making like $5 an hour. And, and thank God they didn't tell me that before I decided to go to journalism school. Um, because the next job was I went from making $12,000 a year to $16,000 a year. And, oh my God, when, when can I eat something beyond uh, Kraft mac and cheese? But the one thing that I was always good about in school, you know, I was a blue collar kid and I had some street smarts, which served me well on the street, but I was always playing sports, having fun with my friends. School was about getting tapes together. And I, and I really didn't invest in my education and reading and, and expanding my knowledge. And at some point you have to do that or it's gonna bite you in the ass. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to compete, and rise to the top. And so I did ultimately hit the books. And uh, because when you start anchoring, uh, you realize how much you don't know, because you might be dealing with 25, 30, 40 stories in, in a newscast, whereas a reporter, you're spending a day investing in one story and, um, and it's taped. So it was a rude awakening for me. Uh, and I was always very good at taking my work to my boss or somebody else that I trusted, another reporter, and say, I want you to critique my work and tell me how I can be better. And a lot of people in our industry don't do that because of ego or what have you, or they're showing it to their mom and their mom says it's great and they think they're great. And listen, I always tell students, as I've told you, if you're 22 and everybody's telling you it's great, you need to get another opinion because nobody's hitting it out of the park at 22 or 25 for that matter. I was getting critiques every level that I worked. And then for people that di didn't understand the actual path, I'll just kind of summarize then. So you were born and raised in Boston. That's where you went to college. And then from there, you were working in Texas, then Indiana, then Tulsa, Oklahoma, before you finally made it to Chicago, w WGN, yeah, correct? So it was whatever that, whatever that was uh, about five years. And that's typically what it is. Major markets look for minimum five years experience. And the bar has come down a bit as the industry has changed and the economics have changed and we're in this transition. But uh, generally that's, that's what it is. And is this how you imagined your life? Sort of, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always thought it would be good to do mornings. I was always a morning person and doing a show like this as opposed to just like uh, sitting there reading headlines from last night, like they did 25 years ago. Yeah, this has been great. And to be able to do a history show and, and to write creative stories that, that last 10, 12 minutes, I mean, most people don't get to do that in our business. It's two minutes, maybe it's three. Uh, and so it's a whole new skill level that I've had to try and work on. And it's just been a lot of fun. And I remember even when I was your intern, it was all about that. You always loved history, sports, uncovering things that people maybe don't know or they don't have the time to research, but still very interesting. So I think it's great that you also found that outlet because I don't know every journalist, but I think I could speak for many where after a while, the mundane routine um, gets a little exhausting and it's nice to kind of have a little piece of what you enjoy. Not like you don't enjoy anchoring, but the stories yeah. you enjoy telling in your own way. But, you know, part of it, that issue is we teach kids to write in journalism school kind of like wire copy, which has its place, but it's boring. And I think new, the news industry gets stuck in that because nobody ever comes along and says, hey, by the way, you don't have to write that way all the time. And 
So if you can write differently and have more fun with it and bring creativity even to a straightforward story, it can make the job more fun. Even when I was in uh, Tulsa, I, I would say, okay, I know how the other three are gonna cover this story. I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out a different way to tell it. And I think it's always good to do, to do that. And you're awesome at it. I, this is a question I really wonder myself, was New York working in market one ever a goal for you? Or was that flexibility in telling stories your own way through the no, local news avenue, something that was always more enticing for you? I just wanted to get into a big market. I, and I didn't think I would have much control over where I landed. I ended up in Chicago. I was trying to get home to Boston. Uh, I didn't really think about the network because when I was in my late 20s, that seemed like old person's news. That, that's something that was going to be way down the road. And um, what happened was I, I kind of missed that way because I was anchoring at such an early age. They don't want to take you as they're looking to bring reporters in young and develop them. And so I kind of I would have had to make a big gamble and um, who knows if I made the right decision, but I, I decided to stay at WGN during, uh, during that window. Um, who knows if it's closed uh, at my ripe old age of 50, 54, uh, but I, I do appreciate the network level. They get it right. They don't hire dopes and um, it's, it's pretty, pretty solid work. And I think it would be fun to work at that level. So you said you don't know, is it something you may be regretting or is it just one of those things that you're comfortable with where you are right now? And it's just a, could have been. No, cause looking back, I think when I was in that window, I don't know that I would have been ready to do some of that. And, um, I, I don't know, you know, I wasn't a political junkie and that's kind of what the network has become very political heavy. And um, so, you know, and I, I was a little tired at the time of running around chasing people. And, and so it was a nice break for me. No, I, I don't really have any regrets. It's worked out pretty well. Glad to hear it. And when it comes to the, these stories, the most important stories for you to report, when is it your yes day when you just get so thrilled that this is a story? What's that important news story for you? Well, I, I think in, in general, I think back to when I first started at WGN and they sent me out to do an undercover piece in a hospital to test their security. And I could do that because nobody knew who I was. I just got gone there. And that's gets back to that exposing wrongdoing and holding authority accountable. And when you do that, I get a real charge out of doing that. Or when you're anchoring and you have a politician or somebody who uh, you need to challenge to get hard answers from. That to me is, is fun because I think there are people, especially in local news, that just want people to like them and they're afraid to challenge authority because they're intimidated or they think the viewer is going to be angry. And listen, that's your job. We're not at a cocktail party. You know, if I was at a cocktail party, maybe I wouldn't ask that question. But in the context of news, you have to ask those tough questions. Otherwise, you might as well just hand the microphone over and not be there. You know, that's C-SPAN. And nobody watches C-SPAN. So you, you really, when you can challenge people and expose wrongdoing, that to me is the, the, the biggest, the most fun that I, that I have doing this work. And I know there's times where I felt bold about something and I've asked you for advice and you, I just keep remembering what you said. If you're not pissing someone off, you're probably not doing your job correctly. <laughs> right. Well, and that goes for news and for like the morning show fun, you know, if, if nobody's angry, you're probably not that funny. <laughs> Somebody's always offended by something. So that always that always gives me some type of relief. Like, well, at least if I talked about it with Larry, he's on my side. And sometimes that's all you need is one, one person. Right. Um, so since backstory keeps coming up in the conversation and it really seems like something that's your passion, tell me a little bit about it. What, it, what does backstory mean to you? What can the audience learn about this if they've never heard about it? Well, I've been surprised as I go around and, and I'll say, like, let's just say the Salem witch trials or the American Revolution, and I'll ask people a question or two, and they know, like, the first Wikipedia line of this stuff, right? Everything they learned in high school, they've forgotten or is half wrong. But I think people have an interest. And so I try to attack these stories and bring them to life, 
but also kind of bring in a contemporary element to tell you what's new or how this reflects society today. So it's not just reading a newspaper from 100 years ago. You know, what's the point of it? Is there something new? Can we challenge authority in the context of a history show? Uh, but I think people have this thirst for knowledge as podcasts and TED Talks explode um, and people get to a certain age and you realize, boy, I realize how much I don't know. You know, as, as we learn more and get more information from the internet, we realize, oh my goodness, I don't know anything about this. Even though some people pretend to on social media, they, they think they're an expert because they heard somebody on cable news mention something and suddenly everybody's a political expert. So through the history show, it, it's sort of a nonpartisan, non-threatening way to maybe attack some, some issues in our society by looking where we've come from to figure out where we need to go. That's awesome. Just that you mentioned, I, I've looked and listened to some of them, but I always feel the same where I want to understand the information. But even when you try to understand it for yourself, sometimes the articles you're reading are misstated or there's new evidence or et cetera. And that's the reason I even like reporting and in, in, in my job, I hope that the audience and the viewers, listeners, whoever it may be, can trust that I'm giving you the facts as of right now. And although they change and although, you know, it's not necessarily you're wrong, if something's changed, it's just, that's life. We're evolving that when we listen to one of your stories, you can really have that lesson that you may not have the time, energy, or the resources to find. It's something that you and I talked about and I talk about with all, all students, but especially journalism students, uh, the concept of critical thinking and learning the principles of that so that you can separate good evidence from bad evidence. It's something that's sorely needed on the internet and on social media right now. I completely agree. So let's chat about one of the best moments of your career. And I know there are tons because I've had a short career so far and it's like, oh, one is hard. So I know it's going to be a difficult question for you, but is there one that's just a highlight? You just, you can't forget. Huh? Well, I, I think uh, on the news side, some of the investigative pieces I've done to me are, are a highlight. Doing backstory is a highlight and meeting some of my childhood uh, heroes, if you will, through the morning show has been fun. Like Adam West, who was the original Batman on TV when I was a little boy. Those are the stars that I go, wow, you know, more so than an A-lister who comes walking in. Although meeting Tom Hanks and Gene Hackman, that's a lot of fun. That's awesome. And now let's go to the embarrassing moment. Cause I think these young journalists do need a like a little bit of kind of a, you know, inspiration or knowing that even the people before you, we, we all start somewhere. So where's that one cringe worthy moment where you think back and you're like, dang, I was really green. Um, you know, this wasn't being green as much as it was like a brain malfunction. Who was it? Now see, I may even screw it up again. I was, interviewing the son of Frank Zappa, but I'm in my head, I'm not picturing Frank Zappa, I'm picturing Ted Nugent, because they're kind of got the same look and the same genre. And so I asked about his dad, and of course his dad was dead, but I knew Ted Nugent was alive and that's who I was picturing. So again, uh, I'll chalk it up to getting up at three in the morning for 25 years. Um, but those things happen. Uh, the downside of that is, well, it was an upside then because back then it was on the air and it was gone. And now it's on YouTube and social media and so forth. So listen, it happens, it happens to everybody. And that's what humans are. And, and even before this became a corporate buzzword, um, being authentic, I think is a key to success in our business because I mean, that's what we've done in the morning show for 27 years. Um, and most of news is cookie cutter. I mean, news directors are replacing this anchor with that anchor. It's pretty much the same guy. I mean, <laughs> you know, because we put up these guardrails and you must do it this way. And, you know, you must shuffle your papers and cough. And, you know, it's, it's like a parody of news. And God forbid we just be regular people. And we, when we do a story that's stupid or the guy's stupid, just say it's stupid. Because that's what the viewers at home are saying. But everybody, and I can, I can understand coming out of school, you may not have the equity to do such a thing, but that's where you need to be thinking is let's just be who we are and get out of the anchor robot um, mold. 
And I, I understand that word you use is very specific, the equity. I do agree with that. And I don't know if my opinion matters yet, but I think there's something to be said for what news journalists or really anybody that has a job gets paid to do something on TV versus the YouTuber, the blogger, or whoever has their phone that's getting these views is that they're doing these things, they're following them, they're mimicking them, they're being influenced by them because they can relate to them. And I just find it important to me as a journalist. And part of the reason why I did it is because I wanted to be that voice for the people that maybe felt timid or didn't know who to ask, et cetera. But how are they going to trust me if they don't feel like they could be my friend and they think, oh, well, this person, like you said, could have been this person, could have been that person, could have been that person. So I think it's all a balance. I think you have to be professional when you're starting. You have to be um, reliable. You have to be willing to do the work. Nothing is beneath you. Uh, but at the same time, I think when it when it's um, warranted, there are times when kind of showing a little bit of who you are can really get you that breaking story. I mean, I think it's worked for me a couple of times because when, you know, the cameras were off and we're just getting to know each other, I just let them know, Hey, like what, what do we have in common? How, how can I make it easier for you to trust me? And I, I think that that does work sometimes. Yeah, I, I think so. It's, it's worked for us and uh, it wasn't like a conscious effort. It's just who we are. And I think it's, maybe we're more the exception than the rule. The flip side of that though, is what we're seeing now is the younger generation on social media as a reporter doing selfies at the murder scene. That's not, that's um, not uh, having any sense of, of self-reflection and uh, a grasp of reality. Um, and so while that may be authentic to that narcissistic journalist, um, probably not professional to, to your point. And I appreciate that you're always honest. And that's something I've appreciated as a mentor. When I come and ask you for any type of advice, I'm not expecting the mom response. I'm not <laughs> respecting the boss response. I'm, I really don't know what to expect. There have been times when I've been creamed and you're like, Hope, like what was going on? Like, what, what, what were you thinking? But I appreciate that because you've been doing it for so long. It's like, I get to, instead of read the book, I get to talk to the book and say like, <laughs> can I have an answer? You know? So I really yeah. appreciate that. And Hey, sometimes some of the things that you're going to hear are not the easiest, but I appreciate that you even gave that little tidbit because, um, what you're thinking others are thinking as well. And I think it's, it's good to have in, in the back of people's minds. Right. And you know, if you're young, you don't know, unless somebody's told you and, why that doesn't get talked about in school, I, I don't know. It, you know, we do tape critiques, as I've done for many interns over the last couple of decades, and they always say, well, my teacher wouldn't like that, or my teacher's never told me that. I'm like, well, you can follow whoever you want to follow. I don't care. I'm just telling you how I would, how I would do that. And like I said, this all comes back from all the different mentors that I've had and, and gotten advice from that, that, to me, made a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think one other topic we should talk about is this idea that we are all human and even these young journalists in this age of mental health and, and just all of the world's pandemic and the radical uh, reckoning and, and just everything. I think it's important for me to remember that whether I'm talking to a news director, an anchor that is a senior or just an average person on the street, we all have a struggle, whether it's personal, professional, something that was really a pivotal moment and, and really something we had to work through so that we could break through in our career and personal life. So if you don't mind me asking, I wanna ask if there is something that you've had to overcome, whether it be a silent battle at work, even just like a professional thing that you had to grow from that could help others. I think early on, at WGM Morning News, we were all young. And uh, I think what I learned there, and they actually shipped me off to the Pointer Institute to take this class called Anchors as Newsroom Leaders. And I think we were all about the same age in the same boat, looking at each other saying, what are we doing here? We've been doing this for a while, what do I need to know? And we all had the same reaction. And um, what they taught us was as an anchor, you need to be a leader. And that means not correcting people, but coaching people. 
And so to your question, I think I was going around correcting people, thinking I was doing a good thing, but there were a lot of personality conflicts on that young staff. And that creates a tense workplace. And you, you learn that there are different ways of communicating with people as a team to succeed. So those early years of WGMOE News were not necessarily happy ones. There was a lot of tension between the on-air staff and the behind the scenes staff. But I learned from that experience. I don't know that it was a, a crisis, but it was a learning experience that served me well. Um, and that I have tried to um, communicate to other anchors as, as well, because uh, like you say, you, you want to have a good atmosphere. You don't know where someone's been that day, what they're going through. And we, we all need to work together. And I always saw myself as the anchor as just another employee, but you're not, you know, you are a leader just by your position. That's really big of you to kind of share that story. It might not be one that many know, but also to, um, own up to it and say, well, maybe I could have been better and I grew from it. And I think that's something we can all learn, especially in this business. I feel a lot of times when someone makes a mistake, instead of just owning up and saying, I'm human, I made a mistake. They want to blame it on this person or blame it on that person. And, and I, I don't think at the same time, you should be making mistakes every day. I mean, at a certain point, you got to, you got to do your job well. Uh, yeah. But if it comes up where you made the mistake or you could have helped be a solution to a problem. I think that work environment is so important because yeah, you're the anchor, but how many people work with you so that you can have the best show? Right. Right. And uh, it, it's important to remain coachable, um, you know, and, and this um, task became easier as I became older and more experienced and the producers got younger. <laughs> but, you know, in the, in the beginning when we were all roughly the same age, it was a little more tense. I can, I can definitely, I can see that. And I, again, I thank you for sharing that with me. Um, so I'm going to ask a little bit for maybe the listeners that are journalists, just some questions that are career oriented. Um, what do you think makes yourself or other journalists stand out as a storyteller? I think the one element of writing that our industry misses is the element of surprise because we are taught to write wire copy and just puke the facts. And there's a place for that in a 20 second VO in a liquor store holdup. But if you're doing a package, you need to bring in a new frame of mind to write. And you need to tell me a story with de by developing a character um, and figuring out what those surprises are and set them up appropriately. It's all how you approach it. Uh, the other thing I would say is when I do a story on, um, I'll give you an example, quilts. I, I, I did a story with this old lady, a feature story with this old, old lady who did quilts. And she was so happy I was doing this story. Oh, everybody's gonna find out how I make quilts. And I, listen, nobody cares about quilts. It wasn't about quilts. Nobody at home watching cares about quilts. I did the story about um, how she communicates her family story through the generations to preserve it, which is what she was doing in the quilts. And I always say, don't, don't write the story for a person who is interested in X, write it for the person who doesn't care about X at all. That's, what, that's the hook you need to find. And would you say that's similar to when you're watching news or you're looking at reels, et cetera? I don't think reels count because like you said, it's, you're, you're just starting, um, but maybe you're watching your competitor station or you're out of town somewhere and you're like, whoa, that was a good journalist or that's a great journalist. What is that light bulb that goes on that you see? Well, I, I one of the things we talked about, especially on early reels for young reporters, I, I know what I'm going to see when I look at their reel. Uh, it's the same for, it, they cover the event, not the issue, because they don't know what the issue is. And they end up doing boring news reports about public officials instead of telling me a story about people. And it ends up being a lazy string of sound bites of people I don't get to know and so I, I, and I see this in major market reporters too, just a laziness about how they put a story together. There's no poetic closing. 
there's no really um, compelling lead. It's a string of sound bites and some stuff and some facts and it's, um, it's flat. It's the same package that everybody wants to do. You, you can't just shovel an event to the viewer. That's what C-SPAN is. You need to go to the event and find the story there. You know, it's not always gonna be on a press release. It's not always gonna be a house fire. You, you've gotta go deeper. And I think in journalism school, they tell you, well, keep it simple, stupid, was a, a phrase that they would, you keep it simple. Simple does not mean shallow. You need to go deeper. That's great advice. Uh, so lucky, so lucky to have you on my, my side. <laughs> um, so how about with the career planning tips? Right now, I don't know that many know anymore what, what that looks like. Well, tip number one would be not to leave a job until you have another one. <laughs> uh, tip number two is always think two jobs ahead. So I, I will get calls from interns in, you know, um, Rockford and say, wow, the guy across the street's gonna offer me an extra three grand. And you know, my news director's a jerk and he seems pretty cool. And listen, does that get you closer to Chicago? No, don't set your career back because you want three grand and you think it's gonna be, the, the grass is gonna be greener across the street. I can tell you it's not. Every station has their stuff to deal with. Think two jobs ahead. And there's an old saying that I have found to be somewhat true most of the time, you're not ready to move to the next level of market until you are the best person in that market. And I, I, I that's true 80% of the time, I would say. Amazing, amazing stuff. How about when you're negotiating a better contract? What tips do you have for that? Oh, good question. You have to understand that in the early years, you don't have much equity and you don't have much room to push. Part of the reason is you haven't done it for very long and you're in Rockford and the guy's budget or the woman's budget is very small. So what are you, what are you fighting over? A thousand dollars. So this is really for more down the road. I had a reporter come to me and say, you know, I, they're only offering me a 2% raise. I really think I deserve a 6% raise. And I said to them, well, has channel seven offered you a 6% raise? Cause if they haven't, you're probably worth the 2%. Right? You're not going, they're not just going to give it to you. You need to have, when you get to the bigger markets, a job, another offer. Otherwise, you're not worth it. You're worth what the market says you're worth. Uh, so that's one. Two, don't be afraid to ask for things. It may anger the news director, but they'll respect you for it because at least they know you're smart enough to ask, which could be outs, more vacation, whatever the list is, it doesn't hurt to ask. You can ask it in a nice way, um, but it's okay, it's okay to ask. And don't ask apologetically and don't demand it, just be nice about it. I think it would be fair, always use the word fair. I think it would be fair for A, you, you never know. And not that you wanna go across the street in Rockford, but if the guy from across the street in Rockford is interested in you, that's going to give you leverage that you wouldn't have otherwise. Whether you're bluffing or not, that depends on how good you think you might be at bluffing. Um, and then that leads to the question of agents, right? Which I, I don't think you need to get into Rockford or to Green Bay or, you know, if you're interested in the network in a major market, it might be helpful. Um, the days of 10% is usually no more. I know that some charge seven. I personally would never pay that, but that's also something you can negotiate. So you might want to line up interviews with more than one agent and not just jump on the first agent train that comes along. And you might want to check out these agents and their credibility and so forth. And what's your thoughts on agents versus just hiring a lawyer to look over a contract? I think you should always have a lawyer look at the contract and not just any lawyer, but a lawyer who's familiar with our industry. And I think that would be good to do in any market. Um, again, in terms of big swing of numbers that's worth your while, it, it's top 10 market, really. I mean, even if you're in Milwaukee or, you know, it's, you know, what, what you got to think about what you're paying out to what, what you're, you're getting. 
We got to get your cash app on here. All the, all these journalists out there that are listening and getting this advice, they have to send you the 10%. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so let's talk about your day at work though, and kind of uh, digress into reality and congratulations. You got to sit with your co-hankers in the usual proximity today right. for the first time in over a year. So, whoa, what did that feel like? It felt like she was sitting on my lap. It, it, for the first hour, it was it was weird, but then it, you know it was it was fine as well. It's, it's good to be back. And it seems like everyone had to go through something during this change, especially as journalists. There's no uh, owner's manual of what do you do during a pandemic. So, what was the experience like for you, and what have you learned? Well, um, I'm one of those rare broadcasting introverts, so. I kind of loved it. I, I like being home doing nothing. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of people were not in the newsroom, so it was quiet. You know, I love that aspect of it. Um, it. It sort of hampered into trying to cover some of the stories that I wanted to cover and the way we do some of our shtick segments for the morning show, that was impacted, but I knew it was all temporary. And, uh, you know, when you're 22, a year and a half seems like a really long time, but when you're 54, it's like nothing. <laughs> and did you have any issue with the whole technology aspect or having all this stuff in your house and the glitches with all the tech stuff? Or are you like, ah, oh, whatever, someone else take care well, of that? I never worked from home. I, I went in the whole time. Both Robin and I did. I think because I think it's hard to read news stories, serious news stories on my computer in my office. I didn't want to do that. And so I went in and I, I, I did it the whole time, as, as, as did Robin. Well, good for you. This is the the most lighthearted experience that I've heard. So, hey, good for you. That's all I'm going to say. Good for you. Um, and how about burnout in the industry? Because I think a lot of maybe other reporters or people that are in the smaller markets who had to just put a camera on their back and figure it out are just burning out and they're just kind of lost in space here. So how do you fight burnout for yourself? And what do you have to say to those people? I think what might be able to help a little bit is to come up with your own stories that you would be more passionate about instead of relying on the assignment desk for the day-to-day -day stuff. But I realize, depending on where you are and who your boss is and the dynamic of the newsroom, there isn't always that flexibility and freedom to do that kind of thing. But you never know unless you ask or you push. I mean, think about it. If you come into the newsroom and say, my goodness, I have this great story that I'm passionate about, you'd think a news director would let you go do that. Um, we're in a transition period. I don't think the powers that be of this industry know where it's going. And so everybody's trying to be super lean, which adds pressure on everybody. And this has always come and gone throughout my career. Um, so, but it's, it's tough. Listen, I, I knew from the get-go, regardless, this is not working in a cubicle, uh, you know, filling out forms and papers. It's, News is always stressful. It's always hard. It'll never be a, a breeze. Uh, but my approach was I am going to work my ass off in Longview, Evansville, and Tulsa so that I am not chasing ambulances when I'm 45 years old. And so that worked out. Uh, so that eliminates while I have the own, my own stresses with my own job. I get it's, it's not the burnout that a general assignment reporter would have who's got to do three live shots and turn a package and blah, blah, blah. I get that because I've, I've been there and I, I probably knew back then I can only do this for so long. So yeah, I mean, you've, you've got to think about that. It's good that you're sharing that from your experience and life, but it seems like you're managing your kids, your family pretty well now with the schedule you have. So do you mind sharing what life was like being a father of two daughters and Really, it seems like you sh you showed up when there was a school thing going on, or when they needed you and they needed advice, vacations, etc. Yeah, you're a morning anchor, but when you come home, you're a dad. Yeah, those years are tough. You don't, you know, it, it's hard to imagine hypothetically having children. You see people having kids all over the place, but until you have kids and they're your kids, and you have to decide what kind of parent you want to be, they were years of not working out. <laughs> Uh, a lot of stress, uh, just the nature of having toddlers walking on the floor. I mean, it, it's stressful. 
And so you have to be in a good place in your career. For me, I wanted to be in a good place in my career to do that because, yeah, I, I don't, it's all kind of a blur. So I don't know if my performance at work suffered, but certainly life was kind of you're on lockdown. Um, we were not the type to just like, we weren't doing the daycare and babysitters every day. Like we were there as much as we could possibly be there. Another reason to try and get the kind of shift you want, the kind of job you want that supplements or complements your, your life, your personal life. And kudos to you for doing it, managing it, and for really understanding that being a parent is a job because I think sometimes going into it, some people might think, oh, well, they'll just have the nanny and we can just time it out. But I'm sure when your kid is in the ER or when they're sick for really anything, or they just need you, there's that thing in your heart that's pulling at you where that's where you need to be. Yeah. Having kids puts work in perspective real fast. And so it's, it's, I almost feel like my life really didn't start until I had kids. And and I, I think if you ask people that, they'll say the same thing. I can't even imagine my single life, right? <laughs> it was so long ago. That's really it's great so to hear. easy. <laughs> and now that we are kind of getting into the post-pandemic life, what's your whole perspective on the way news is going? Are you excited about the way that we have all these platforms and people are sharing? Or are you kind of excited that you're closer to retirement than the person that's just walking in the door. <laughs> I'm getting excited that I'm closer to retirement. Uh, you know, our business has not figured out what to do with digital. They just, you know, the, the instruction for the last 10 years has been just get it out there. Just do it. You know, take the packet. Put it on the, we, there's just stuff going out the window on, on the web. And, and, and how do we make money from that? I, I don't think anybody's figured it out. And you, I have interns who come in and say, oh, I want, I want to do digital. I was like, that's great, but you know what? You still, the world still needs storytellers and you've got to be able to tell a story because you can't do that. It doesn't matter whether you're on, on the web or on a Zoom or whatever, uh, you still have to be able to do that. And I think you learn to do that by being in the field and experiencing stories and writing stories and turning complex issues into something compelling and simple. And uh, it, it's hard to do by just kind of sitting down and talking on a podcast. Anybody can do that and everybody does that. Uh, so it's a, it's a tough gamble for your career if you put all your eggs in that basket. And I think that's fair. And um, I think many should be thinking about not ever having all eggs in one basket. I think that's one thing that my professors really instilled in my head, if anything, was that this business is ever changing. At any moment, your job might not exist because they no longer need it. So always have a good savings plan and make sure that you always have eggs in multiple baskets. And a lot of people say, oh, wow, you're really connected or, oh, you're keeping up with this person or that person. Well, for me, I genuinely want to be their friend. If it's someone I connect with, I, I either I'm really friends with them. I admire their work. It's someone I want in my life. And I think that's um, part of it is always keeping up with just the way life is going, but understanding that there's always plan B, C, D, E, F, G, X, Y, Z, because you just don't know. Right. And I, I think it, it seems like it's, it's always the worker who comes in and punches the clock and gets out. And they're always wondering why they don't get the five or 6% raise. You know, the more things you can do and do well, the more valuable you are, at least you have an argument to make with your boss for, for a decent salary raise. If you're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, they don't need to pay you more. So true. So true. So if I can't ask this and I'm not saying you're retiring tomorrow, nor do I think you should be, but what does life look like for you after WGN? Oh, no idea. Maybe teach or write. I'm not really thinking about that so much. I just want to, uh, you know, I, I want to work in a good atmosphere and do good work and be able to uh, send my kids to college by the time uh, and that the, you know, the industry doesn't collapse because it's been nerve wracking the past several years, as you see, viewership eroding, uh, 
because people are on their cell phones or what what have you. And uh, you know, it's it's not the glory days of television in that respect. The upside is news and sports are the are the the only things that people watch live for the most part. And so there is some value in that. And um, so uh, easier for me than someone coming into the, the business for the first time. Well, that's really good news that you're not thinking, oh, I want to start a golf team or I want to be in charge of this basketball league. Uh, But I I think that 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 just says that you still love what you do, that it's not one of those things that's constantly spinning around in your head. Right. No, I still I still love what I do. Uh, I like to maybe get up a little bit later. Maybe that maybe that's something I could adjust down the road. Well, please do be a professor and and share this knowledge with everyone. I always thought to myself, if one person could be the best that that I know teacher of news, it would be you because a lot of times they, like you said, want to teach you how to write and how to do all the technicalities of it. But there's so much more to being a journalist than even doing the job. Then how do you get, get along well with others? Um, do people trust you? It's, it's really one of those things that you get stretched in so many different ways that I, I really don't believe any journalist that doesn't think at least once a year, like have a break moment where in their head, they're like, okay, this is my last day. Like it's just done. <laughs> well, is there anything that I haven't asked that you think is really important that you need to share with the audience about yourself um, that you just think I've missed? Uh, I'll just leave people with this, and I think this is true of reporters and anchors. There are many days where you can wing it and probably get by. The one day you screw up, it'll be the day that everybody remembers. And so it's important to do your homework and prepare and engage with the news every day, because I know that there are some out there who never read a newspaper. Um, whether that's online or, or not. And it says a lot about them and their level of commitment and may speak to why they're in this business, may not be for the best reasons. Um, and I said it before and I'll say it again, no more selfies at crime scenes. <laughs> you all heard it from him, but I'm not going to let you go just yet. We're going to just do a quick question round. So with this, sure. I'll ask you the question and your answers can be shorter. Obviously, if you want to go longer, you're the guest. You can talk for as long as you want, uh, but we're going to start with that. So what's one thing an intern should never do in a newsroom? Wear sweatpants that say juicy across the ass in rhinestones. I knew you were going to say that because that's literally the first thing you said to me on my first day. And I just thought in my head, if he says the juicy thing, that's (laughs) hilarious. I thought it was for like some sketch we were doing, which still wouldn't have been appropriate, but um, that's that's what she wore to work that day. Something you wish someone told you when you were first starting out. Uh, You're going to have to read way more books than you think you'll need to. What is the beverage that's in your mug? water. Biggest career advice tip that you ever received? I think it's the advice of think two jobs ahead. I was always planning it out and I've been here forever now. So, you know, but I'm always calculating and figuring out how to get from here. And that gets more complicated as you get further into it. And so like in anything, there's politics and you, there's that whole game too, which we won't have enough time for. Uh, There's, there's your job, and there's your career. And you have to kind of do both, especially when you're younger to get ahead. You've got to be able to do both of these and you have to do both of these really well. And if you weren't a TV anchor, what would you be doing? I'd probably be uh, a writer or a lawyer. Yeah, I don't know. Who was your biggest career inspiration? I think it was the anchor teams in Boston, I really thought that, you know, at, at some point you realize, okay, I'm not going to play for the Boston Celtics. And, and, but the, 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 the rung below that was the anchor teams who were kind of like, they represented the community. And I thought that was really cool. Um, you felt connected to them. And they were like out in front telling you what was going on and, and made it seem like a community because of the information they were giving you and how they interacted with each other. And that, that appealed to me. I thought that was pretty cool. And what is something that almost no one knows about you? Um, 
I think some people are surprised that I'm an introvert because I'm on TV and we do the, you know, the, the funny show and, um, and I'm pretty aggressive person. So usually those things don't necessarily align with being an introvert, but I'm pretty quiet outside of work. And what's your favorite book? Oh, um, I will tell you that the, I'll say the, my favorite book that I read recently is oh, Martin Scorsese is making this into a movie. It's in Oklahoma about the Osage Indians. Cher Blossom, Cherry Blossom Moon, something, something, something. Google it. Um, but it's about how the Native Americans really were persecuted in, in Oklahoma. Like you cannot believe it's an amazing story. That's why Martin Scorsese is making it into a movie. Blood of the Osage Moon. Got it. And how about in general, what's your favorite book? The Autobiography of Ben Franklin was one of the early books that I read uh, because it's, it's a notable biography and autobiography. And it's interesting to just be in the head of Benjamin Franklin because to me, he's one of the most fascinating characters in American history. Love it. And I'm just wondering on, the, on this note, there was once a time when we're talking about interview questions and you told me to always have a book in mind and you said a book with the word duck in it. Yes. What was that book? The duck that won the lottery. So it's kind of one page and, and, and it's kind of a lesson of critical thinking flaws. And these will be very helpful to you as you're reporting because of course you're always trying to be manipulated and spun. And when you're debating somebody or interviewing somebody, you've got to be able to recognize their BS. And learning these skills through this book will, will help you do that or any book on critical thinking. But there are some fun ones, entry level, if you will, like the duck that won the lottery. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for being on my podcast. It's an honor and privilege to chat with you always. I really hope that I've made you proud and I hope that you have continued success in your career and after. Thank you, Hope. I am proud you're doing a great job and thanks for having me. Please send in recommendations for topics or guests. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Hope on TV. Thank you to Trouble Recordings for powering this podcast. You can listen to more episodes on HopeSalmon.com.